What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and every Monday on this channel, we go through the PFF grades, the final scores, the target shares, the advanced numbers on all of the games that just happened and talk about my top 10 takeaways, lessons learned, observations, whatever you want to call them. So today, we're going to look through at week three fantasy football and talk about what stuck out to me when I was looking through these games. So with that being said, let's not waste any more time. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like if you enjoy the video. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, try to choose. I mean, I know I'm all right, now our first takeaway for today is that it was just such an ugly week for fantasy football. Honest to God, if you were out there and you lost in your league, you might have been 2-0 most points scored in your league, and you had a bad showing this week. There were a lot of lucky wins that happened this week, a lot of ugly stuff out there. We had Khalil Herbert as our leading scorer at running back. Ryan McDowell kind of went through and showed the top 12 scores at each position. We have Khalil Herbert, Derrick Henry, Jamal Williams, Singletary, Patterson, James Robinson. If you go through this entire running back list, I think only Chubb and Derrick Henry are guys that were drafted in the top three rounds. You even have like Melvin Gordon up there. You have Chase Edmonds up there who didn't even have a ton of volume. He just scored some touchdowns. Same thing on the week three or on the wide receiver side of the thing where you have Devonta Smith up top. Mac Hollins in second, Russell Gage fourth, Zay Jones fifth. Just a really weird week where I guess like A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown were the only like top three round picks. But a lot of guys busted. Justin Jefferson didn't look great. If Cooper Cup's not on this list, and I guess Cooper Cup didn't do as amazing as he usually does. Uh, Devontae Adams wasn't great. Stephon Diggs wasn't amazing out of this world. Same thing for the running backs. Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey wasn't amazing. Just a really weird week where I have a couple of I have a couple of leagues, man, where if you look at the matchups, dude, like neither of us are going to score 100. It's just an all-out bloodbath. Nobody's scoring any points. Sometimes weeks like this just happen. I wouldn't, you know, beat yourself up about it if you lost in a bunch of leagues this week. If you won in a bunch of leagues, it was probably on luck, but also hats off to you, my brother. Now, our second takeaway is going to be I kind of wanted to, you know, sort of macro analyze the season so far. So that's why I wanted to talk about the scores this week. And then I also wanted to talk about the scores on the entire season where I went through this morning and I looked up the top PPR point per game scores across the flex position. So running back, wide receiver, tight end. And these are the only 10 players right now averaging over 20 points per game. So we have four of the top 10 point-per-game players right now are all wide receivers. Diggs, Cup, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jalen Waddle. And we're actually lucky this year. The zero RB guys are lucky this year. Hero RB guys, whatever. Wide receiver early folks that last year we had Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase and Debo, and these guys were amazing. But all of those guys are drafted round four, five, six. None of them were drafted early. Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, both round one picks. That's huge. And then Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Waddle are kind of those like Debo-ish, uh, Jamar Chase-ish, cupish type guys where they were drafted in like fourth fifth round area so we have hits across the board at wide receiver we have Saquon Barkley at fifth right now he's going to play tonight you have Nick Chubb up there as well so you have two running backs up there seven wide receivers one tight end which is pretty wild to have seven wide receivers of the top 10 point per game scores at this point now we still have Saquon and Chubb as the only running backs that are over 20 points per game I highly doubt that Nick Chubb keeps that alive. Uh, he's just never been a 20-point-per-game guy. 
he would need unsustainable like touchdown efficiency for him to get there. I do think, though, that I will take my not a complete L on Nick Chubb through three weeks. He just had one really big blow up game. But instead of maybe like a 15 point per game guy, maybe he'll be like an 18 point per game guy this year as like a top six running back. I think that that is very much doable for him. But to keep up 20 points per game on the entire season, I would be shocked. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, I wanted to talk through as well the legendary running back race right now where I do think that Saquon is probably our only hope right now at a true 20% plus win rate type season at running back where we didn't have one last year. The year before that, we had Kamara. The year before that, I believe it was McCaffrey twice, then like Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, like truly dominant running back seasons, like 23, 24 plus points per game. Last year, I think Jonathan Taylor was just under 22. So he wasn't truly in that elite level or legendary level. I will be honest with you guys, it's looking very rough that we're going to get a running back this year. I think that there is a chance that the 20% plus win rate guy is a wide receiver. And obviously the guys who are sort of leading that race are the top four in Diggs, Cup, St. Brown, and Waddle. Now I will say Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey could both easily finish as the wide or as the RB1 overall, but I'm just not sure that they're going to have one of those truly historic seasons. Now, I will say, I wanted to look through at the six legendary running back seasons that we have since win rate data was compiled in 2016 among running backs that were drafted in the first two rounds, right? You have like other guys where you have uh, Devonta Freemans and you have uh, James Connors taken in like round 18, but I just want to look at the top guys. So the guys who were taken in the top two rounds and hit a 20% plus win rate and what were their points per game through three weeks? All of them are above 20 point per game. Gurley was at 28. Kamar was at 35.6, which is crazy. McCaffrey at 26. David Johnson, 22. McCaffrey, 20.9 in 2018. And then Le'Veon Bell at 14.2. So Le'Veon Bell is the one glimmer of hope that maybe, Javon, that maybe Jonathan Taylor, that maybe Christian McCaffrey can turn it around here, still get on track to score. I mean, Le'Veon Bell went on to score 22.8 points per game the lowest points per game on the list. So, I mean, we're still drawing live for a low-end legendary season. But I'll be honest with you guys. It's looking pretty rough. Now, I will say, again, the RB1 overall is still very much alive for both of those guys. I'm talking about legendary seasons. In terms of the RB1 overall, I think CMC and JT are both in the mix where Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 overall in fantasy last year. Through three weeks, he was the RB28 at 10.7 points per game. So, I do think that there's better days ahead for... Jonathan Taylor, McCaffrey, I even think that there's better days ahead for Eckler, uh, Derrick Henry, Javante Williams as well. This has been a really weird start for running backs. I have to say, even as much as a, a, a zero RB, hero RB guy that I am, I don't think it's going to be this large of a gap for the entire season, but we will see. I'll also say the wide receivers that are up there on this list wasn't how I drew it up either, right? You have Christian Kirk up there, who I wasn't high on. We were high on Amon Ross St. Brown and Jalen Waddle, but 100%... We didn't have like a 100% hit rate or anything. So I don't I don't want to just hop on here, uh, victory lap, zero RB or whatever, because you have Chubb up there who I didn't really like coming into the season. Same thing with Christian Kirk. So I think from a macro perspective, you know, things look pretty good. But in terms of micro, of course, you're going to have a lot of variance. Now, I also wanted to shout out Mark Andrews, who was someone that I was about on market with. I have a couple of Andrews teams, but he looks dominant. He is pretty much uh, Lamar Jackson's wide receiver one at this point. He has 20 plus points per game 
and he leads all pass catchers in the NFL with a 37% target share. So that's just wild. And on top of that, he's a, a, a high dot tight end. So he's not getting these like low dot sort of like Travis Kelsey targets. He's getting 37% target share downfield. So there's a chance that Mark Andrews is a guy that can compete for 20% uh, 20% win rate because we had Travis Kelsey, I believe who went second round in 2020 with Kamara. He ended up with a 20% win rate. And I want to say that he was at not even 20 points per game. So I don't think that Mark Andrews is going to sustain a 20 point per game season, but if he hits like 19, 19, 20, he's in the mix for a 20% win rate season as well. Now that's enough talking about win rates and a bunch of stuff that I guess is sort of made up unless if you're really in the loop with win rate, but next, I want to talk through our rookie wide receiver report for week four. I've been sort of implementing these into these videos just to sort of keep up with what's going on with these rookie wide receivers. And up top, we have more of the same from Garrett Wilson and Drake London, still absolutely dominating. Garrett Wilson, his route percentage dipped in week three, but that's because he had an injury where a guy hit him in like the ribs. So I'm not really super concerned about his route percentage. Targets per out run still looks great, 26.9%. Yards per out run, 1.98%. PFF grade 80 plus. That's what we're looking for. Drake London is also in that same area where he has 30% plus targets per out run, two plus yards per out run. 85.3 PFF grade is insane. Like that would be one of the highest PFF grades for rookie wide receiver outside of, I want to say probably, I want to say that's more than Jamar Chase was at last year, but I could be wrong. I, I want to say Jefferson was pretty high. I want to say like Michael Thomas was pretty high, but that's in elite rookie year number i would call wilson and drake london are both elite dynasty assets at this point somewhere in that like top five to ten dynasty wide receiver conversation i'd have Olave just knocking on the door at this point he's closing the gap he's running more routes you have michael thomas and jarvis landry both left the game with injuries gave Olave a runway to have 93 percent of the routes he's also at a 25 percent plus target per out run he's also over two yards per out run his only concern right now is PFF grade. I know that you guys probably don't think, oh, PFF grade, who cares about PFF grade? It's really predictive. For anybody in their rookie year who had over an 80 PFF grade goes on to do really special things. So it's a it's a great indicator that we're looking for. If he hits that, then he is also in the... And we're talking about with Wilson London as elite, elite dynasty assets. I think Olave is already in the mix as like a top 12 to 15 type guy at this point through three weeks. The other takeaways that I had were Romeo Dobbs. He went from 58% of the routes, 43%, and now 94%. Now, that's not all due to his skills, right, where Watson got hurt. I believe Sammy Watkins was hurt this game. So he kind of gets elevated into a starter role. He did great. I want to say he had, uh, like, over 15 fantasy points. His targets per out run in the season are 22%. That's amazing. We're looking for above 20% targets per out run, above two yards per out run, just under on the yards per out run, but that's about fine. And a 70-plus PFF grade is really good. Outside of Sky Moore, I, I won't count Sky Moore because there's just not enough targets. He has one target. But when you look at all of these guys' PFF receiving grades, Dobbs outside of Wilson, Olave, London is the only one with a 70 plus. Now, we had big things in store for Traylon Burks, right? We had 36% target share, then 73% or 36% route percent participation, 73% route participation, 96%. Was supposed to be takeoff. We had above a 30% target per out run, above a two yards per out run. We thought it was time for Burks to come in here and transfer over that per route efficiency on a full plate of routes. Now, I don't think it's all over for Burks. I just think that he had a, a down game in his first game as a starter. 
that's a tough spot to go out there and perform. But he goes from, I want to say he had like a 78 PFF grade last week to now a 68.4 on the entire season. So he's a starter now. Really what we're hoping for with Burks is I'm not completely out on him. He's He climbed the depth chart showing efficiency. I don't think he just forgot how to play football. I think it was his first game as a starter. Maybe he was nervous. Maybe just things didn't go his way. The very least, he led the team in routes. So he's pretty much seen as their wide receiver one at this point. All we have to hope for is, again, I don't think that a, I think he, he had like, I think he only had like one catch. He had two targets on like 20-something routes. He had a really, really bad day, like a 7% target per out run day after being way better earlier in the season. I don't think that that has just evaporated. All we really have to hope for right now is that a bad game from Burks didn't erase him being atop of the depth chart. As long as he still maintains like an 80% plus route participation, I do think his efficiency will go up like it was on less of the routes. Now, we'll also talk about Pickens and Dotson here. They hit season highs and targets. Dotson had seven targets, but I want to say it was on like 48 Carson Wentz dropbacks. So I think he was only like 15% target per out run. Pickens was a little bit better. I want to say it was like seven of about 30. So he was actually more in like that uh, 20% plus target per out run range. So Pickens, arrows pointing up. He's finally actually commanding targets where Dotson and Pickens are sort of the anti-Burks where they already had the routes. They just didn't have the efficiency or the production. I like Pickens much better as a long-term bet than Dotson. I still do think that Dotson is pretty touchdown dependent. He hasn't really shown that he's going to command targets at a big rate, but I do think that the arrow is pointing up on Pickens. He had a great play, the one-handed catch or whatever. Maybe that kind of gets things going for him. We'll see. But yeah, I, I haven't really soured on Pickens. I think Pickens and Dotson are both fine. Um, but if anybody's buying high on either of them, I'd probably be looking to sell just because they haven't done a lot on their routes. Now, we'll also talk about David Bell here, who goes from a 21% route participation to a 38% to a 58%. So he's climbing. He's just not seeing any targets. He has two total targets in the entire year. 50, like He has the lowest PFF receiving grade, 0.31 yards per out run. Not good. He's not commanding volume. He's not producing, but at least he's getting on the field. So maybe that'll lead to something. We'll see. Uh, we did have sort of a weird game, or not a weird game, but a rare game. I doubt this happens again, but I want to say Njoku and Amari Cooper on that Thursday night game accounted for like 70% or like 66% of the targets that game and like the receiving yards. I doubt it'll be that consolidated moving forward. So I'm not completely out on David Bell. It's interesting just, you know, sort of keep a tab on his route participation. If it keeps climbing and if production ever follows, then he'll be interesting. Uh, and it is time to officially be pretty concerned about Sky Moore. 17% of the routes in week one, he had one big play. That's why his yards per out run and his PFF grades are juiced just because of a small sample. And then after that, he has 0% in week two. And then he not only has 0% in week three, but he muffed a punt. And then he like struggled fielding the next punt, which you hate to see because we just, in fantasy, we just care about Sky Moore, the wide receiver. We just want him on the outside, play wide receiver, score points, catch the ball. So when you have a guy in Sky Moore, who we're looking at as a receiving asset, but he's out there on special teams costing the team, which if you're looking bad on special teams, you're not going to get called up to the offense. So it's just a nightmare scenario. Again, he hasn't ran a route in his last two games. I hate to say it. As someone that was high on Sky Moore myself, I'll take this L on the chin. I'm not going to say it's completely done at this point, but he is, you know, the favorite right now. If we were doing Vegas odds on who's going to face plant this year and be this year's Terrace Marshall, it would be Sky Moore. Sky Moore... Again, hasn't touched the field since week one. He looked good in week one, but he hasn't touched the field. I, I wouldn't drop him in redraft. I, I wouldn't fully panic. I'd give him to like week six, but if he doesn't start commanding routes or doing anything on the field, then it's looking pretty bad for our guy. Now, moving on to more micro stuff, just team by team analysis here. Let's talk about takeaway number four. 
the Eagles passing offense is everything I could have wanted and more. Now, again, that's kind of what these videos are, though. Uh, you know, me taking my L's and taking my W's as well. But in the offseason, I was saying I want to bet big on this Eagles passing offense. I don't think that they trade for A.J. Brown. They don't add a single running back to this room and not plan to pass the ball. And they come out here, and here's the thing. That was always the belief for me, but there was always the risk that if Jalen Hurts isn't a good enough passer and he can't support that kind of offense, that kind of volume, there 100% was a chance that, let's say, this happens through three weeks, they're passing the ball a ton, it doesn't look good, though. He's throwing a lot of picks, not a lot of completions, and then they revert back to a run-first offense and draft a quarterback for 2023. That was 100% in the range of outcomes. But Jalen Hurts can throw the football at a high level. I'm not going to sit here and say he's like a top five Mahomes, Herbert type passer or whatever, but he is at the very least an above average NFL quarterback through three weeks. Now, again, these, these stats are a little bit inflated because just because of how hot he's ran through three weeks, but I think it highlights his upside as a passer. He's first in PFF pass grade at 88.2. The next highest PFF graded passer is 76.9. He has like a 12 point gap on all the passers. I don't know why, but I guess like NFL passing just hasn't been that great this year passing grade I've never seen passing grades this low or like seconds in the 70s it's usually like you know one guy in the 90s a couple guys in the 80s low 80s and then high 70s this year it falls off really quick he's also first in the NFL in yards per attempt at 9.3 he's averaging over 300 passing yards per game which is crazy for him just considering how much of his production comes on the ground and there were concerns that he wouldn't be able to support all of these weapons AJ Brown's wide receiver seven Devonta Smith's wide receiver 18 Dallas Goddard is tight on six right now. All of them are doing amazing. I don't think that this is going to hold, right? If I was to if I was to place a bet on, is AJ Brown going to finish top 12? Is Devonta Smith going to finish top 24? And is Dallas Goddard going to finish as a top six tight end? Probably not super likely, but I think it is a bright point to show right now. By the end, I think if you stretch that out, if you stretch Dallas Goddard to like top 10, you stretched out Devonta Smith to like top 30, I think so. It seems like they're going to pass the ball a ton. They have the seventh highest pass rate over expected right now. So they're really cranking it up. Like the guys ahead of them are the ones that are passing a lot, like the Bills, Chargers, Chiefs, Dolphins, and then like two more teams. And then it's the Eagles. They're passing a ton, even though that they're in game scripts where they were killing the Washington football team yesterday or the commanders, whatever you want to call them. They're passing the ball a ton. I'm really impressed with Sirianni's play calling. I'm really impressed with Jalen Hurts as a passing thus far. I didn't even think... As much as I thought that this offense was going to be great, I didn't think Jalen Hurts was going to be this good of a passer. I thought it was going to be more volume than it was than it would be efficiency like this. But to start the season, it's been both volume and efficiency. So a lot of things happening here. People who thought that the Eagles were going to be a run-first offense, you were wrong. But it's all good. I'm sure you have a Jalen Hurts team out there. Miles Sanders has been great. He wasn't great yesterday, but you get the the deal. Uh, next, we'll talk about at number five is Travis Etienne. And again, like I said, we'll take my W's. We'll take my L's. It's been fun. It's been fun victory lapping the Eagles offense. You guys know me. I had to put it in the front. <sighs> Travis Etienne's been tough this year, man. I, I think this is what I wrote down as my takeaway. I think Travis Etienne will probably be fine in the long term. But James Robinson has absolutely owned me this year. I thought, you know, Travis Etienne preseason, I thought he was going to run away with this Jaguars job. That was going to be great for fantasy. He's fast. He catches passes. He has his college quarterback on this team. Everything lined up. Now, this team has been amazing. Like, this is something that uh, I don't think anybody foresaw. And I'll talk about it a little bit here, that the Jaguars have been good. Like, Trevor Lawrence looks, I mean, I'm not going to say the next Andrew Luck, but he looks kind of like what he was hyped up to be. He goes out there, handedly beats the Jaguars, or handedly beats the Chargers. Maybe that win against the Colts 
wasn't as fluky as we thought where it was just like a random game like maybe the Jaguars are good their defense looks good like this is the best the Jaguars have looked since like Blake Bortles Jalen Ramsey days this defense looks great though that Trayvon Walker was out there in pass coverage on some of the snaps like I'm genuinely blown away with how the defense has looked how Trevor Lawrence has looked how James Robinson has looked how Christian Kirk has looked I'll take my own Christian Kirk too this is like a legit like frisky playoff team now this Jaguars team and I don't know if I'm if I'm sort of getting over my skis with that but that's sort of what it looks like. The Jaguars are seventh in offensive points per game right now. Yet, our boy Etienne is the RB35. So, the Jags, this Jags team is amazing. They're cooking. They've now had two straight games of like positive game scripts where they should be running the ball. And Etienne as the pass catcher hasn't benefited from that. But in the preseason, we would have thought that Etienne would look great in these. Now, when we talk about James Robinson, I still refuse to believe it was bad process betting against James Robinson. He was an undrafted free agent coming off an Achilles tear that was playing for his third coaching staff now since he was signed as a UDFA. This coaching staff had no allegiance to him. He had an uphill battle coming back from an Achilles tear. He's overcome it all. He's overcome it all. He's the RB3 in fantasy, 18.8 points per game. He's an RB2 moving forward. He is the truth. I'll give that all to James Robinson. He, he is that guy. I can't believe he ripped off that 50-yard ru uh, rushing touchdown as well, man. Just burn the entire defense on a repaired Achilles. I genuinely don't even know what to say. Now, I will say on the bright side for Etienne is it doesn't seem like Etienne is even all that bad either. Like, Etienne, when he gets the ball, he looks really fast. He looks explosive. He looks His acceleration is crazy. But when you have James Robinson cooking up defenses like he has been, I can't blame Peterson for not putting in Etienne. But at the very least, it's not, it's not a situation where I'm trying to think of a, a running back that just, like, sucked and got outplayed by uh, the veteran. Not Trey Sermon, but... Something among those lines, but he's not, he hasn't looked bad. You know what I mean? He hasn't looked like a bad running back. He's 10th in PFF rush grade, which is actually ahead of James Robinson. He's 7th in yards per out run among all running backs, which is great. He's top 15 in rushing yards over expectation. He had 16 touches yesterday. Again, he looks, he has like special speed. Like when you watch him, his acceleration is crazy. Like I think long term, he still has a lot of promise, but I don't know how, I don't know how. He supplants James Robinson at this point without a James Robinson injury. It, it'd be extremely tough. Robinson has pretty much like earned the trust. Like those are these are two big wins to the Colts, to the Chargers. I want to say both were on the road, possibly. It's tough to now expect them to be like, nope, Robinson, we've seen enough. It's now ETN's time. But like I said, long term, if you have ETN in Dynasty, I don't think that there's any reason to, you know, start worrying. This is like his third NFL game was yesterday, and he looks good. It's just that James Robinson looks better. That's really all it comes down to. So it's going to come down to if they have better game scripts, right? I think they're going to be in closer games. They have to. This is still the Jaguars. ETN still owns all the passing work. I don't think that it, the dream is completely over for ETN, but to win the lead back spot is going to be very difficult. So we'll sort of see how things go. You sort of need a James Robinson injury for ETN to pay off. But again, at the very least, ETN isn't bad, right? At least he's not a bad player. He still has talent. So that type of profile does benefit from the chaos of the season. I would still hold on to ETN. Don't drop him. Don't do anything dumb. Keep him on your team. I do think that he has massive upside in case of a Robinson injury, in case, I don't know. I think Robin, Robinson injury is really the only out that he has at this point. But I still do think he's a good player. And I do think in game scripts where they're going to have to come from behind this Jaguars team, he will be really interesting when they have to, they haven't had to like run a two minute drill offense for, you know, the last quarter or so like they it's weird but they haven't been in a game script to benefit etn so i do think better days are coming once you know they're down like 10 points in the fourth quarter and it's just hurry up with etn i think better days 
are ahead, but this crazy upside of being the lead running back on that offense, I think that is probably gone now. Now, next I have Ramondre Stevens' season has commenced wherever I might have that graphic. And Ramondre Stevenson ended up with 12 carries, 73 yards, a touchdown on the ground, five targets, four catches, 28 yards through the air for 20.1 points. He looked great. This is a great uh, utilization tweet from Dwayne McFarland saying he had 62% of the snaps, 54% of the rush attempts, 64% of the route participation, 16% of the target share, 60% short yardage, 60% long down and distance, 100% two-minute drill. He was pretty much the 60-40 main back with Damian Harris. He split the rushing attempts with him. He saw an elite route participation. He saw a great target share for a running back, and he had the third down back usage that we're looking for. Everything went to plan. Really, the only concern with Ramondre Stevenson right now is Ty Montgomery. If Ty Montgomery comes back off of IR, which I want to say would be in like two weeks, there's like a 50-50 chance that Bill Belichick, even seeing Ramondre Stevenson eat, is like, hey, Ty Montgomery is our James White. He's going to come back in. It'll be a three-headed backfield. That is our biggest concern. If that doesn't happen, then Ramondre Stevenson should be a like – I would say a mid to high end RB2 rest of season if you can fend off Ty Montgomery when Ty Montgomery is due to be back. Now, our seventh takeaway here that I wrote down was Brees Hall is inevitable. He is inevitable. We knew they drafted this guy in the second round. They're going to use him. If you draft a running back in the second round when you're a smart GM like Joe Douglas is and you even trade up in the second round to grab a running back who a lot of these coaches know is in a premium position, None of them drafted a running back in the first round this year. They know that this isn't a premium position, and he still went out there. He took Brees Hall because he thought he was that good. This is the first week where we've seen the baton get passed a little bit here, where Brees Hall outstapped and outtouched Carter. He outsnapped him 40 to 34. He outtouched him 19 to 13, which is beautiful. The strange part is, though, is a lot of us going into the season saw Michael Carter as the passing down back, and Brees Hall is between the tackles guy. The weird part is, is that Michael Carter got a lot of the early down stuff, so a lot of the between the tackles work, and Brees Hall got 12 of 14 third down snaps. Now, they did evenly split the two-minute drill stuff, so it is still up in the air. Like, it is a very weird usage split. It's not very clearly, like, this is the passing down guy, this is the between the tackles grinder guy, but if you were to assign a role to either, you would say Brees Hall's the third down guy and Michael Carter's the between the tackles guy, which isn't what we thought was going to happen, which is actually great for Brees Hall's ceiling, because if Brees Hall can have a game like he had today, with 11 targets, six catches, 53 yards through the air, that's great. If we can see him, like if he's going to get more targets and carries in his games, he has, I'm not going to say like a Kamara type workload, but he's got to be up there for like receiving points expected. He's up there in terms of just targets or in terms of targets at running back. Brees Hall is up there and we know like receiving game for running backs, just receiving opportunity is some of the hardest to come by. Where Joe Mixon's been, Joe Mixon had a college profile same with Josh Jacobs, two guys that could catch really well coming out of school. And then their NFL coach already had like a Samaj P. Ryan in their backfield. And they decided, you know what? You're going to be the twin tackles banger. Whatever you did in college, forget about it. We're not going to use, use you as a future pass catcher like an Aaron Jones, like a Kamara, like an Eckler. You're going to be our bell cow between the tackles running back. Brees Hall at least is drawing live right now to be one of those guys that can challenge for 75 plus, 85 plus targets while also being great on the ground. So really promising for Brees Hall. I think he's somebody that you can even be more confident in starting moving forward where I don't, this running back room has been so random where Ty Johnson was like, he got a bunch of slap, snaps last week. Now he got no snaps. Brees Hall then passed Michael Carter after having his like lowest snap share of the season. I'm a little bit skeptical 
of if this exact split is going to stick, but it's promising. I do think sooner or later, Brees Hall will be very comfortably the 1A. Right now, it's pretty much in the air, but things are looking good for Brees Hall. Then I had as our eighth takeaway for today, Kyle Pitts, no reason to worry. 42% target share, 53% of the air yards, a 5.44 yards per out run. Really, the only issue that happened to him is Atlanta just decided to throw no passes at all. Drake London ran, I think, like 20 routes today. 20 routes for your starting wide receiver is insane. I think that they had under 30 dropbacks, which is really, really low. It's one of the lowest of the week. And it just goes to show Arthur Smith is always trying to run the ball, which sucks for these Atlanta pass catchers. Like, even when he's down in games, he's trying to run the ball. Regardless, though, Kyle Pitts had eight targets, five catches, 87 yards. Not a crazy breakout day, but we'll take 13.7 points from Pitts. It was super encouraging. The touchdown wasn't there, but I think they will be in the future. Now, it's also worth noting that the team they played against, the Seahawks, changed their identity a little bit. Now, I don't know if this is going to stick because I do believe that they lost this game to the Falcons, but Seattle snapped the ball. I guess Pete Carroll said that he was going to go up-tempo in week three. He comes out here, snaps the ball with 15 or more seconds on the game clock for 47% of the plays with the game within three points. They ran 69 plays after averaging 48 plays through the first two games. So that's huge. If we can now have, what's that, like 20 more plays, 30 more plays in a given game because Pete Carroll doesn't want to bleed the clock the entire time, that's massive for especially DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett moving forward. Now, our 10th takeaway, and I know a lot of you guys want me to speak on this, is it time to panic on DJ Moore? Is it time? And I definitely can't say I'm not panicking with DJ Moore. I definitely can't say that there is no doubt at all that DJ Moore might have been a disastrous fantasy pick this year. He for sure has gone from a fringe wide receiver, one that we were drafting him for, right? In that like wide receiver 12, 11, or 12, 13, 14, 15 area to more of a fringe wide receiver two, wide receiver three guy, like probably somewhere in that like wide receiver 24, wide receiver 30 area. But I don't think he's in that same like sunken place that like a Darnell Mooney is, right? Where he's not even someone you can sniff your lineup. DJ Moore and Baker Mayfield are seeing career low efficiency right now. And I have to believe that there's regression coming. I have to. If we look at the stats through three weeks and we compare it to their career averages, we have DJ Moore with a 60.8 PFF receiving grade. His career average is over 15 points better than that. His target per out run is 15.3%. On his career, he's a 21.6% guy. Yards per out run, he is averaging a full yard under what his career average yards per out run is. His yak is about half of what it usually is. His, his catch percentage is like 15% percentage points lower than what it usually is. Then you have Baker. His pass grade right now is 45.7. It is the second worst out of all starting quarterbacks. His career average is 75.1. Yards per attempt, 6.7. His, his career average is 7.3. His ADA, he's throwing it much shorter, 6.9. His career average is 9.1. And his completion percentage went from 61.2% on his career to 51.2%. So it's tough, man, because Ben McAdoo and Matt Rule, I think, are both guys that would struggle to coach a college program. So they're out here in the NFL. They're way over their heads. They're both going to get fired soon. So it really comes down to, do you think, do you think that Baker Mayfield and DJ Moore can be what they've been just per average on their career, despite bad coaching. And it's tough to say, but I have to believe that some bounce back is coming. I, I can't believe that Baker Mayfield is going to be a, in under 55% completion. Please, I don't know why I can't even talk. 
a completion percentage guy. I don't think he's going to be under 55% completion percentage. This is also, these last two games, Baker Mayfield, it is his first stretch of two games in a row having under a 50% completion percentage. I have to think that this improves. I have to think that both of these guys can revert back to the mean. The only issue is how bad is the coaching to the point where neither of these guys can get there. I think this is at least a little bit of a shine here where you have to think that Baker will maybe settle in here. They'll get to the drawing board. They'll include DJ Moore more often. They'll include Christian McCaffrey more often. And a bounce back will be coming. I just can't believe that Baker Mayfield can be this bad for an entire season. We'll see. We'll see. But again, even for DJ Moore, who hasn't been overly efficient in his career because he's had such bad pass catchers, this is even a historically bad season. And I don't think Baker Mayfield is his worst quarterback that he's ever had between, you know, like Darnold, Bridgewater, Kyle Allen, Wash, Cam Newton. I think things are due to bounce back. But again, I think you have to temper your expectations on DJ Moore. He's no longer the fringe wide receiver one you drafted. But I do think that he can still be a fringe wide receiver two type. I think he can be somewhere in that wide receiver 25 range rest of season. I do think we will see somewhat of a back bounce back here soon. Now, our last takeaway for today whoop, is J.K. Dobbins in his first game back. I kind of just wanted to talk about sort of my thoughts on J.K. Dobbins and his first game back here. We had six points on seven carries for 23 yards. He had two targets, two catches, 17 yards. So he didn't really do anything against six points in fantasy. But I think there is some positives to be to be had here where, sure, he didn't lead the backfield in snaps, but I don't think that that was ever going to happen. It still does seem like he's out there on early downs. He had one goal line carry to Justice Hill's two, which isn't great. It does seem like Justice Hill is going to be the passing down back, and he mixed in a little bit today. But what I would imagine is Justice Hill will be the passing down back, and then J.K. Dobbins will be the between-the-tackles guy moving forward. Now, the reason why I'm pretty optimistic on J.K. Dobbins is because he had almost 10 touches today. I think that that is going to go up here soon. And I can't imagine that the Ravens want to pass the ball as much as they're doing right now. They're third in pass rate over expected. That's even higher than it was last year, I think. And that was a year where they weren't trying to pass or they were passing the ball a ton. It's even gone forward this season. I do think that they want to revert back a little bit to running the ball more. And you have none of these running backs, Justice Hill, Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake. None of them look good. They all have the least amount of rushing yards in the league if you take out Lamar Jackson's rushing. So just among like running backs, super low, not looking great. So I do think that they are literally dying for J.K. Dobbins to come in and show any kind of efficiency. And I think that he will. I think, right, he gets a, another week of sort of prep, of rest, whatever. He comes back in. I do think better days are ahead for Dobbins. I don't think that he is a must-start next week. But I do think, what, if, if it's week four here, I do think by like week five, week six, week seven, he will be in every week high-end RB2 with upside for more than that. Now, that's going to do it for us today, fellas. I got to go right tomorrow's waiver wire video my bad for getting this one out a little bit later than i would like to i had to take winnie to the vet this morning so got a little bit caught up here you absolutely hate to see it but we're coming back tomorrow even stronger i hope that all of you guys crushed your fantasy matchups this week it is it was an absolute bloodbath this week let's see what we got tonight we're hoping for a saquon barkley 30 point game i have a ton of saquon where it's literally just come down to how many points is saquon going to score if he hits x amount of points you will win. Also, legendary running back watch. If Saquon Barkley hits like 30 points tonight, then he is firmly in the conversation for legendary running back season. If he busts and has like 8, 9, 10 points, then it is looking like 
a year without a Santa Claus, if you will. So all, with all that being said, if you enjoyed this video, make sure you down below, subscribe, leave a like. I know I rambled a little bit. I wanted this to be shorter than 35 minutes. I wanted it to be more like 20. Happens to the best of us. I hope you enjoyed. As always, I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.